Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. The Lord is speaking to my heart tonight about this subject, the cross. And I'd like for you to join me with your Bible and your journal. I really believe that there are some things that God wants to say tonight to us as a congregation concerning the cross. In 2004, if you remember, the movie called The Passion of the Christ was released. At that time in that year, I remember we rented an entire movie theater and our whole church went. And it was the first time we had ever taken our church to a rated R movie. And it was pretty gruesome and in your face. And I had ne- I've seen a lot of movies over the years, but I'd never seen a movie quite like this one. As far as the details, the graphicness, and I'm telling you that it, it riveted my heart and made me think. And you know, in just about a little over a month, In the month of April, we'll be in our Easter season, what we call the resurrection time. And I know that we're expecting a full house. I want you to start praying and inviting people to come. We have planned some things this year we've never done before. And that will involve starting on Palm Sunday, leading up into Good Friday, and um, and even Resurrection Sunday, a lot of things that are new for us that we're excited about doing and we'll be sharing that with you but as we think about Jesus and this particular season that we're going to be entering in soon I almost thought that I would just hold this message but I felt God say no this is I want you to say speak about the cross and I began to look back in my notes to see how many messages that I have preached on the cross and There are lots of references to the cross when I do a Dropbox search of the notes that go all the way back to, well, when I first started saving the notes. Up until then, it was all handwritten, typed out on a computer, printed and put in a notebook. And uh, I had a system. Eventually, I was able to put everything into digital, and so it's very convenient when you want to search something. And a lot of references to the cross, um, and I'm just being honest with you, I feel like there needs to be more messages on the cross. And as I was reflecting on the words of the Lord about the cross, and then my mind went to the passion of the Christ, you know, like I said, one of the most graphic things I've ever seen I think for me, the scene of Jesus hanging on the cross was probably the most detailed and gruesome one to watch that I'd ever seen. And you know, when we talk about the cross among all the emblems that are in the world today, none is admired and worshiped like the emblem of the cross. And it's not a cross with Jesus on it still, but it's an empty cross because he came down off the cross. We know that the cross was the instrument of Jesus' suffering and his death, and even though it was the instrument of suffering and death, it also became the instrument of our salvation. And so the history of the cross is interesting because a lot of us don't realize that the cross predated even Jesus. If historians have it correct, It goes all the way back to India and to China. And if you were a victim of dying on a cross, most of us know that a crucifixion happens when they put you on a cross either by cords or your hands and your feet are nailed and you're left to die. The gruesomeness of the death of a cross is that while you're hanging there in the heat of the sun, and it's pulling your body and the torture that you go through even before you get to the cross, it took sometimes two to three days and sometimes a week for a person to die a death by the cross. 
most terrible, probably the most awful, painful way to die that you can imagine. Eventually, the torture by death on the cross was abolished and done away with. And Christian nations started using the cross as a symbol of Christianity. And they would take that symbol and they would emboss it and etch it into their chariots and upon whatever they had. And the cross became a symbol of everything that Christianity stood for. And then you would see organizations pop up like the Red Cross. And they would bring a cross to the forefront as an international sign of goodwill and help to other people. I want you to go with me to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 6 and verse 4. And I want to read a passage that we believe the apostle delivered to us that talks about the crucifixion and how it pertains to you and I. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would anoint me, your vessel, tonight. And give us an anointed ear to hear your word that we might be changed from the inside out. And God, anyone that is here tonight watching or in person that is in the valley of decision, that they would make a decision tonight to place their faith in you. And we'll give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The apostle wrote to us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And reading that scripture, and, and I, I want them to leave that up for just a minute, this verse is literally telling us that every time the gospel is preached or proclaimed and those that hear that message and receive Christ as Savior, we, are, we believe we would say of them that they came by the way of the cross. They heard the gospel message. It pierced their heart and they came to Christ by the way of the cross. But if you neglect or refuse God's love and God's mercy from the cross, this passage says, then you are helping crucify Jesus by your rejection. That if you reject and neglect, if you choose not to accept his love and mercy openly and afresh, you are one who is choosing to crucify Jesus Christ. And I want to say something, and God help me if I've ever said it in my own life, forgive me. But if the reason we have to be careful not to say that the Jews crucified Christ, as they did say to them in the middle, middle age time, we have to be careful that we don't say the Jews killed Jesus because it was told to us that in order to convert the Jew during middle age time, they would hold a spear or a knife to the throat of a Jew and tell them that they must be converted because they were Christ killers. that they were the ones who killed Christ. And I thought as I studied on this that they really did not kill Christ. You know who killed him? All of us. We killed him. We all had a part in his death. Because his death was planned, the Bible said, from the foundation of the world because of sin. And the Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Tonight, if the Lord helped me, I want to give you four dimensions of the cross that I think about when I reflect upon the cross. Number one, I think about the breadth of the cross. That the love of Christ is manifested in the cross of Christ that includes everybody. Everybody. 
everyone's included in the message of the cross. God's love extends to Africa. His love extends to Asia, to Latin America, to Russia, to China, to North America, Central America, South America, to Canada, to the whole world. That the breath of God's love and his message includes you and it includes me in the whosoever's of this world, whatever religion you have been raised with, or if you have no religion at all, God loves you and he says from the cross, I love you. When I think of the cross, I think of how broad his love reaches. And then secondly, I think about the length of the cross, that the length of the cross has no measure. The length of the cross extends from eternity to eternity. What one writer said to everlasting to everlasting. And when you think about how long the cross is and its length, we begin to try to measure in our finite fleshly minds. I think of Noah when he built the ark and the Bible said that the ark was actually 450 feet long. I think about Solomon when he built the temple and it was 60 cubits long. And if you and I were to go out and build a shed in our backyard so that we could house our garden tools and our lawn equipment, we would be able to measure the lumber we need with a ruler or a tape measure. We understand that. But how can you measure the end to end of God's love up on the cross? The Bible said, Paul speaking, that God's love even surpasses my knowledge. It's so long, it's so deep, I cannot comprehend it. And there's really no way for me in my fleshly mind to even begin to understand the love of God. A God that would give his only begotten son on the cross to die for you because in reality I deserve death. I deserve to die a death because of my sin. We have all sinned and come short of the glory. We all deserve hell and we all deserve judgment. But thank God for the length of the cross that spans from eternity unto eternity. And then I thought about the height of the cross. It extends all the way up to the throne of God. It doesn't matter how high heaven is. The Bible says the, the cross would draw all men unto him. And this is what I know that every one of us has to make a decision that we are going to follow Jesus Christ and make him Lord and Savior of our life. When you think about the height of the cross, I think about the scientists of our world today who are looking into space with telescopes that allow them to see further and further than we could even imagine. And even then, they cannot find God. As deep as they look, as, as high as they go, they cannot seem to, to find him. We know that the subject of astronomy and the subject of space frontiers are very exciting. And we are thrilled when we watch Star Trek and Star Wars and all of these sci-fi channels that think that we're going to move into warp drive in our own lifetime. There are scientists who know far more and more about the height of the universe than I could ever stand here and pretend to say or even explain to you. But heaven is out there somewhere. We don't know exactly where, but the Bible teaches us that heaven is real. Somebody say to you, even today in the year of 2023, you believe that heaven is a real place? You don't think that heaven's just right here and we're going to just remain here? No, the Bible even teaches us that heaven and earth will pass away. 
but his word will never pass away. There is a real heaven that God has created and you cannot go beyond God's love even in heaven. I believe heaven is a real place and I believe one day I'm going to walk on golden streets and y'all may want to live in a shack, but he said, I'm going to have a mansion that's prepared for me. Oh, heaven is going to be a glorious place. Somebody smile when you talk about heaven. How high is the cross? It extends all the way to the throne of God. And you can't go beyond his love. Then I think of the depth of God's love on the cross. That you could fall into the very bottomless pit of sin. You could fall into a lifestyle of degradation and live like an animal in this world. You can be a murderer, a rapist. You can be anything, but you cannot ever be, on, be beyond God's love. Because God's love runs deeper. The cross covers even to the very gates of hell. How deep is it? There are people today that are trying to find out how deep they can go into the heart of the earth. There are people today trying to find out how far they can go into the depths of space. They're trying to find an answer, but you can't go deep enough that God's love doesn't go deeper that the love of God from the cross is deeper. For the Bible said, oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, that his wisdom and his knowledge is deeper. And it can draw every sinner to an exalted height in heaven. No wonder Jesus said, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men even unto myself. Can I hear an amen in the house of God? When I think of the cross, for a moment, I think of his suffering for you, and I think of his suffering for me, that the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the cross surpass my understanding. I don't know how and why God would love an old sinner like me, but I'm so glad that in his choosing, he didn't count me out, but he counted me in. He looked ahead in time and realized that Russell Hilton in Akron, Ohio would need a savior, and at the age of eight, 1970, I called unto the Lord and asked him to be Lord of my life and Jesus saved my soul. It is said that Jesus loved us, suffered for us, and laid his life down for us. Upon the cross, it is a picture of five basic wounds that Jesus took upon himself for you and I. I want to define them as medical science has. First, he suffered a contusion when they beat him on the head. The Bible said that a band of centurion men, 400 of them, smote him on the head with a rod and kept on hitting him on his head and torturing him and putting a crown of thorns up on him. It is easy for us to walk down the hallway of our own home and trip on a rug and hit the wall and maybe even get a concussion. Can you imagine standing, opening not your mouth and having people beat you over the head with a baseball bat repeatedly he suffered a wound of a contusion up on his head. And then it is said that he also suffered the laceration where they bared his back open and took long leather whips with steel pellets at the end and beat him until he was bleeding from head to toe. That was the Roman way. They tortured prisoners before they ever took them to the cross they tortured them and they lacerated the back and the body and the flesh of Jesus until it is said that to survive a Roman whipping, uh, your entire back and flesh would be exposed all the way to the bone. And while I'm standing here tonight thinking about a world that we live in that has utterly mocked him 
and has crucified him afresh every time they reject him. I think about his lacerations and his contusions. But then there were the penetrations when they crushed the crown of thorns on his brow and his head. And they said, well, if you be the king of the Jews, they, then we'll put a crown on you and a crown of thorns. They shoved down into his scalp, into his tender head that had already been beaten by men who just wanted to see him cry out, who wanted to see him suffer. They penetrated his skull and shoved the thorns of that crown upon his head. He was perforated for you and I. Not only was there a penetration, but a perforation because then they laid him upon that cross and they drove big long iron and and stakes and nails into his hands and in his feet and upon his body. And I can't even imagine if I'd have been standing there what it would have been like to hear him gasp in pain as they drove nails into his hands and his feet. And finally, there was the incision that they put upon our Lord when they put a spear in his side and the Bible said that from his side, blood and water began to flow that the suffering and those nails through his hands and feet that were driven for you and were driven for me and all the people of the world because we took part in his death and we took part in his crucifixion. Our sin put him on the cross. Our sin nailed him there and you, whether you want to agree or not, participated because he had to go to the cross. He lived and died to go to the cross that you and I might be redeemed what was lost in kindred fellowship in the garden of Eden through the fall of mankind. Jesus voluntarily said, I will go and I will pay the sin debt. Oh, hallelujah. I'm thankful today for the incision upon his side, for the perforation upon his head, for the penetration in his body. I'm thankful for every contusion. I'm thankful for every laceration because Jesus did it for you and he did it for me. The very ones who put him on the cross it was my sin. It was my sin. And I look at the cross from another angle and I want you to look at the Christ when he spoke from the cross and he spoke words that would resonate through eternity. Usually when you hear a sermon like this on Good Friday. And that's about it. But a lot of people don't go to church, period, let alone Good Friday, and they never hear it. But I, I want you to write this down somewhere in your notes that there were 28 prophecies in the Old Testament about the cross. In the Old Testament, 28 prophecies, entire chapters were dedicated to the cross. There's Genesis chapter 22. There's Psalm 22. Isaiah 53. Most of us are most familiar with that. And even Leviticus chapter 16 deals with the suffering of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he ever went to the cross. It was foretold of the price that he would pay for us. They were under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when they wrote about the coming Messiah and the death he would pay for us. And one of the first that comes to my mind of his saying from the cross, from Psalm chapter 22, when Jesus hanging on the cross was quoting the scripture, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was actually quoting from the psalmist in Psalm 22. But when you go a little further into that passage, you begin to find the why of why he said it. Because the scripture says that thou art holy. And if you'll never understand the Old Testament, even with all of its blood sacrifices and everything that was required, 
We never really understand all that is happening there until we understand the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Until you come to a place that you understand that God is a holy and a righteous and a pure God who cannot look upon sin, who cannot look upon evil. So in that one terrible moment of agony of the Lord Jesus on the cross, he felt lonely. He felt forsaken by his friends. And for the very first time, a shadow comes between him and his father. And the Bible teaches us because God could not look upon sin, in that moment he laid the sin of the world upon his only begotten son. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took the curse for us so that he could give us the blessing. I'm so thankful standing here tonight that my sins have been blotted out, that Jesus took the curse, that he took my sin dead and he washed it away from me. Jesus became sin for us and the Father could not look upon him and the Bible said in that moment he was made to be sin for us, he who knew no sin. Do you know what it means made to be sin? Made. He was made to be sin. He was made to be sin. He who had never known sin. He who had never told a lie. He who never succumbed to an evil thought. He who had never succumbed to greed or lust. And all of the sudden, all the filth and the dirt from your life and my life descended upon him. And none of us will probably ever understand the mystery of that moment. Theologians can't explain it to the satisfaction of us. But it was God's great for love for us that allowed his son to take that suffering and to die a death for us. Then I think of the cross where we hear Jesus say, I thirst. When Jesus said, I thirst, this was to fulfill scripture. When he said, I thirst, he would fulfill Psalm 69, verse 21. When he said, I thirst, the Bible said that they brought to Jesus vinegar and drink mingled with gall. And when he tasted thereof, he refused to drink it. He would taste it, as we would read later in the book of John, in another one of the Gospels. Although he tasted it, he did not drink it. And you have to ask yourself, why did not Jesus, who cried, I thirst, drink of that which they gave him? Had Jesus drunk what they gave him, he would have drunk a sedative. He would have ingested a sedative. In some way, it would have taken some of the pain away. It would have lightened his suffering and alleviate all that he was going through. But he was there to do what he was there to do. And that was to take all the suffering and the absolute consequence of sin for you and for me. So he refused to take the gall and the vinegar and the sedative that would have alleviated his pain. He knew that he must die an agonizing death to carry our sin to the cross. And all the time that he did it, he was conscious of you and he was conscious of me. And if you and I would have been the only ones left on the whole world, he would would have died for us. Somebody ought to thank God today that he said, I thirst, but he did not drink the sedative so that he could take the full measure of our death sentence. And then in Luke 23 and 34, another thing he said from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Now, if he's talking about the Roman soldiers that were nailing him, if he's talking about the crowd 
that, that was out there yelling at him and screaming at him and mocking him, not realizing that any moment, 72,000 angels could have pulled their swords and came to his rescue. But he said, no, I'm doing this for them because I love them. They know not what they do. You see, you and I had sinned against God. We were the ones that broke his laws. And he said, in the day that you break my law, you shall surely suffer and die. That is what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. They broke the law. They sinned. And what sin did was separate them from God. So God never meant that, anybody, that anyone would, would, would ever die. He never created hell for us. We were intended to live in perpetual paradise. But sin separated us from the love of God and the way of God. And we as a people broke the law. We deliberately rebelled against God. And God would not be God. And he wouldn't be a just and righteous and holy God if he just came along and patted us on the back and said, that's okay, boo-boo. I'm going to let you slide. No, he wouldn't be just and holy and righteous. We had to die for our own sins or somebody who was qualified had to die for us. And that person that was qualified is none other than Jesus Christ who volunteered to do it and he did it in our place. He took all the ugly, all the nasty, all the most grotesque, sin you could ever think about. He took it upon himself for you and for me. I heard about a woman who was writing to a columnist and she said that to cure her own guilt in her life, she would go to her back garden and she would dig a hole in the earth and then she would lie down on her stomach and put her mouth on the hole and speak all of her guilt and all her wrongs and confessions into that place that she had dug up and then she would cover it up. People will do just about anything to get rid of their guilt. The place to get rid of your guilt is at the cross. For centuries, people have done crazy things, desperate things to hide their shame and to bury their guilt. I also read of a man this week that, by the name of James Nelson, who was a boy in an alcohol-soaked scene that beat his own mother to death with a brick. He served nine years in prison, but during that time, he met Jesus Christ at the cross. And through deep repentance and confession of Christ, Jesus became Lord and Savior of James's life. He began to study the Bible. Eventually, he became a lay preacher in the prison. He was released, and he was then ordained in the church as a minister. How did that happen? Because of the forgiveness of God. How did that happen? Because of the love of God, because of the power of the cross to change and forgive. Oh, how wonderful and how thrilling it is to know that my sins are gone and forgiven and I too can enter into a relationship with Christ. And I think about all that Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross and maybe the most touching thing to me in all of the world was when he said there was that the cross, his mother Mary was watching him be crucified, watched him be, uh, be tortured, watched all 
of this and he looked to John, one of his disciples, and he said, John, behold this woman. And then he said to Mary, his mother, he called her woman just like he did at the Canaan of Galilee when he called her twice woman. He said, woman, behold thy son. And from that hour on, John, his friend, John, his disciple, took care of the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Friends, can I tell you that Jesus Christ on the cross was the cure for all of our human severed ailments that we have ever had to endure in this life. For every broken relationship, he is the cure. For all of our social problems, he is the cure. For every racist thought and every person entrenched in it. He is the answer to bring people out of sin for every oppressed person that is in the world. I'm telling you the impact of the death of Jesus Christ has reached the world over and around the globe and Jesus said it is finished when he hung upon that cross. Hallelujah. What did he mean when he said it is finished? In John 17, he had said, I finished the work that you had given me to do. God gave him a job. God gave him a job. And his job was to die on the cross. He would say in scripture, to this end was I born. He came to die. The only man ever born to die. And that's why he came. And when we wonder why he didn't feed everybody, and he didn't heal everybody, he could have. Those he did feed and heal, he did so out of compassion. But his real work was on the cross. That's where he was headed. And that's why the cross is so important to us. Because when you talk about the cross, you're dealing with eternity. Are you talking to your children about eternity? I was raised in a time that we thought the rapture would happen any moment and we wouldn't be ready. We had such a fear of God. There's not much fear of God left in the world today, when Christian people are buying Beyonce tickets in Chicago to hear her talk about a scripture page that she uses as a tampon, and we smile and say, oh, that's just, you know, no, we live in a wretched world, an evil, nasty world. I'm not concerned about making any of you comfortable tonight. I'm not concerned about ever being politically correct or seeker sensitive. I'm more concerned that he's comfortable. His real work was on the cross because he was dealing with eternity. One day, this body is going to the ground. I received word this morning that our sister in Christ, a longtime member, Sherry Antonio, went home to be with the Lord yesterday, early in the morning. As I talked to her son, Brian, on the phone this afternoon, he said that when he took his mom to the hospital, and then he would take her, I think, home, she said, I just want to go home. And he said, Mom, you are home. She said, no, I want to go home. And the Bible said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You're going to spend eternity somewhere, even in heaven or in hell. You will spend eternity. My body will go to the grave, but my soul and my spirit and that part of my life will live on forever somewhere. So... What are you going to do about the cross? Because from the cross, he's asking me to repent of my sin 
and receive him as Lord. Yes, he finished that. He settled that. And then he said something else in Luke 23. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. These are the words of Jesus. In my lifetime, I have been with people when they've crossed over. I have been in hospital beds as a pastor. I've stood with the family as they've taken life support off and I've watched them pull tubes off and see how long the body could go. I've been in, around people who were about to cross over that the heavens were in the room, that the peace of God was there. And worship was taking place, and you could just feel the glory of heaven. I've been in rooms where people were crying out in fear and torment, saying, I'm burning up, I'm burning up, I'm burning up. Some have gone peacefully, some not so. I have heard the death rattle in their throat. There was no death rattle in the throat of Jesus. They did not take his life from him. He laid his life down. And the Bible said with a loud voice. <laughs> he said, I commit my spirit to thy hands. He gave up his spirit. And in saying this, he conferred upon every one of us the possibility that we could inherit eternal life. And I want you to know that you can have eternal life tonight. You can be assured of it. I was once lost, confused, without purpose and meaning, no assurance for my future. Brother J.R., no assurance for my life. And Jesus from the cross reached out by death and rescued me and pulled me in. And today I call him Lord. And today I call him Savior. But before I close, there was one other statement that he made. And he made this to the thief on the cross. The crowds below were shouting, crucify him. He's getting what he deserves. If you are the son of God, then come down and save yourself. He saved others. But look, he can't even save himself. And they were mocking him. And he was hanging on a cross. They were jeering at him and laughing at him. And the thieves on both sides were criticizing him because they had already been on the cross for six hours. The first three hours, they were both criticizing him and making fun as the crowds below. But one of the thieves began to look. He was guilty. He deserved to die, according to Roman law. But one of them looked to Jesus and kept looking at him. And he began to see something that he had never seen before. He realized Jesus was different. And he began to say to himself, he must be the son of God. He must be Lord. And he began to rebuke the other thief. Don't you fear God? We deserve what we're getting. But he, he has done nothing wrong. And he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord. That word Lord in that text and that context says, my very own Lord. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's an act of faith. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And I wonder if maybe 
The angels of heaven were watching to see who would be the first person that he would bring with him into paradise. And it ended up being a thief who deserved hell, who deserved everything that was coming, but the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God go beyond what you and I can think and we can even comprehend. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see that thief there because Jesus said, this day you will be with me. And Jesus took him by the death of the cross. Hallelujah. Two thieves. Which one are you? Which cross are you on? Are you the rejecting and neglecting, making fun on cross? Are you on the cross that receives and accepts him as Lord and Savior? So I'm going to ask you tonight to make a commitment to Christ. Very simply, three things that I want you to do. First of all, number one, repent of your sin. Revival is in America right now. A few weeks ago when the Grammys, the most vile and blasphemous and abominational performances were toted in front of us as if we were forced to watch its nastiness and vulgarity. And then just a few days after that revival began to pop up all across America now in universities and now in other countries, revival is here. It comes through repentance, repentance and humility. That word, word repent means change. I changed the way I live, I changed my attitude, I changed my mind. I can't do it alone, but God, if you help me, I'm willing. Number two is receive Jesus into your heart. Receive him by faith. The thief on the cross received him by faith. Lord, which was saying, my Lord, my own personal Lord. Receive him by faith because you cannot come to Christ intellectually alone. You cannot come to God just with your mind. You have to come like a child with a childlike faith that says, Lord, I just believe. And thirdly, we're willing to follow him and serve him. It's not just receiving him, it's being a follower of, of his every day. Because I am a follower of Jesus, it does not mean that I'm perfect. But it does mean he is changing the direction of my life. I was going this way, but he turned me. And now I'm going in a different way. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'm going to ask you tonight to do something that I've seen and we've seen here at Bethel hundreds of people do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, everyone in this place. to ask our prayer team all of our elders and prayer team ministers to come and stand with me and I'm going to ask you that are here tonight while they're coming to do something that I've seen so many do something that I myself have done I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come to this platform. And when you come, I want you to know that you're saying, I'm here tonight. When I come, I'm leaving here with my sins forgiven. They're coming. I'm leaving here with my sins forgiven. I want you to come and stand before one of our prayer teams. Make yourself available. And I would say to this church tonight, you may never have this opportunity again. I wasn't there when Sister Sherry crossed over yesterday. But I know where she is. 
You may never have this moment again where you are so close to the kingdom of God. Those of you that are coming, come just find you a place in the altar. Stand or kneel, just come. But just find you a place. Tonight, I want you to come. You might be a member of this church. You might be a choir member. You might be a leader. You might be a counselor. But you're maybe not sure how you stand before God and you want to come to the cross tonight and find forgiveness of all your sins so that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt when I lay my head on my pillow tonight, my last breath here will be my first breath in glory. For to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And if that's you, get up and come right now. Don't you wait for anybody else. They're coming. Find you a place in this altar. And I want you to pray and I want you to talk to God. Our prayer teams and our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to gather around you. If you're here tonight and you have a friend that's up here, I want you to come stand with them. If you're here tonight and you're watching online, you might be in your car, you might be in a hotel, you might be on your couch. Tonight you can know Jesus as your Savior. Tonight you can call upon his name and he will hear you and he will answer. You might be sitting at a bar tonight. Jesus has come by way of the cross to bring you home and to bring you into relationship. Everyone in this place, cry out to the Lord. All of you that are standing, would you just have a talk with Jesus yourself? Put it all under the blood tonight. Repent of all sin. Every area that we have come short in the glory, we ask you to forgive us, Lord. We repent of our sin. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. For every public sin, for every private sin, we ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. cleanse us from all unrighteousness come into our heart hallelujah 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 Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.